donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Wednesday, October 28th, 2020. It is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your hosting duo. You see me here on your screen, joined by the man on the other side of your screen. But I should say, BC, this is how they've been seeing us for the past eight months, but maybe they could see us a little bit differently this time. Oh, look, look at that. that. Got him. Got him. Yeah, all right. We are uh, in the bunker. By the way, it's Brian Campbell from CBS Sports. I'm Luke Thomas from CBS Sports. Make sure everyone in the control room mutes that thing so I don't hear everything they're saying back there. Wow. You, this, Luke in rare form today, not tolerating any tech issues. or J- Hey, that COVID vagine Jay even showed up today. He certainly did. We had Jay in the house, although he's not here right now because he apparently has better things to do. But we are here. This is our first show in this facility since the first week of March. Uh, I am, I'm sad to report we're not going to be back here next week. In fact, I don't know when we're going to be back <laughs> here. But we're here now. We'll be here for the Friday show as well. And we, we have a lot to get tested, to. Okay. COVID tested, okay. great yes. to be back in the bomb shelter turned uh, orchids of combat, you know, down here at the tug shop, right? It's, how, how it's the times, only way to shop, right? How many times are you going to make that joke here this week? The orchids of combat. Which, by the way, we never called it that. Just you just a, made it up. Such a J-hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have a lot to, uh, to get to today. We have a Bellator 250 preview because that is tomorrow on CBS Sports. We got a little bit of news and notes. We're going to do a deep dive on Anderson Silva because, hello, it's supposed to be the last fight of his career, or is it on Saturday? Yeah. Either way, we'll look at it as the last fight of his UFC career. And we'll talk about all the implications. We have your fan art. We have Social Justice Wednesdays. Woo! We have NJW, No J Wednesdays. This is going to be a good show. No J Wednesdays. Uh, okay. So, as always, give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button. If you want to try Showtime for free, you can. 30-day free trial. You can go to Showtime.com. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. There's the, uh, what you call it. And uh, what else do we have there? We got merch. I mean, you want to wear this, this shit? What do you have? I got merch. They said bring merch. I got merch, all right? You want to wear this shit and you live in our country, you can wear it. You live outside this country, pound that sand, yeah, all right? Yeah, sand you can go pound. Um, but you can do that at store.show. That's S-H-O dot com. And uh, anything else I'm forgetting? Uh, you know, maybe check us out this week because there's a giant Showtime pay-per-view. Tank Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, we're going to be with you Thursday press conference stream live from the bunker here. Friday, weigh-in stream, setting them up, knocking them down, getting you fired up for one of the biggest boxing events of 2020. No doubt. And, um, yeah. You know, people hate this this part where we vamp and we sell shit yeah. and we show our nipples and we do all these weird things. Like, they just want they the... They put the timestamp in the comments to, like, know when to get past it. Yeah. Hello, folks. This is important. You can tolerate a couple of minutes yeah. of us shilling. Do you want this high production value with this palm tree? You got to deal with it. I'm sorry. All right? Thank you. All right. Well, with that in mind, as the AC blows louder than Brian's volume in my ear, let's get to the top of the show here, BC. By the way... Sort of one piece of news, we just did the Bellator 250 weigh-in on CBS Sports HQ. You can go check that out at cbssportshq.com slash live. Is that right? Uh, cbssportshq.com, cbssports.com slash live. However you look for it, it'll be up on YouTube as well. Full weigh-in special. The great Todd Grisham as the host. We had interviews with Musasi, Lima. There's going to be interviews with Big John McCarthy, Chael Sonnen. you got to check it out. All right, tons of stuff there. But first things first, let's get to the, uh, the UFC side of things, BC. Dana White, UFC president, has, I don't know if he formally announced it, but he told the press, I believe TMZ this week, that what he's trying to do for the first quarter, I believe in March, 
What they're looking to do is Miocic versus Francis Ngannou, too. The quote that I have here in my notes, quote, that fight won't be ready until March. It could happen in March. That's the goal. We'll see what happens. Sort of a broad, open-ended way to start this conversation. Your thoughts when you hear that. Uh, you got a Duncan sponsorship? What's going on I here? Do, uh, look, my thoughts are this. It's the right fight to make, so let's make it already, okay? I want to see where John Jones fits in in this heavyweight division. But Francis is a little bit more deserving at the moment. You can't make this guy wait two years. You know what I'm saying? He, he's done it. He's, they've set him up. He's knocked him down. It's time for him to get that chance. Let's make it as soon as we possibly can. What the hell else are you going to say, Luke? Um... Why not just go right to Stipe versus Jones? Because it'd be too much of a shitty thing to do to someone like Francis? It would be. But also, I mean, you see Jones, uh, who's very upset right now, about Jesus losing Christ his number one pound-for-pound pound spot. By he's not upset. I mean, if you listen to him, he says he's not upset at all. When he in reality, won't... he's like the most upset. Yeah, I haven't seen him this upset since you asked him that question at the uh, press <laughs> conference there. But, um, you know, look, it's going to take time for John to put on the weight. I'm still wondering if they're not fully done deciding whether Adesanya Jones is or should be a possibility next. So while you do that, you give Ngannou the proper time. I wonder if UFC would rather have, when Jones does make that either that heavyweight debut or that heavyweight title debut, would they prefer him against Ngannou than Stipe? you got to ask yourself that. Also, I heard uh, Eugene Behrman talking about a fight against Jan Blachowicz for Adesanya. Like, not even thinking about Jones, in which case... I don't know what, if Jones, I mean, I don't understand. Is The only two possibilities I see for Jones at this point are Jones, Adesanya, or Jones versus the winner of Stipe versus Francis, right? What am I missing there? Well, who else could you possibly do at that point? Curtis Blades or something? For who, for John Jones? For John Jones. It's really that or, or the, the, the oddball left Brock Lesnar type fight. Outside of that, you, you nailed it. I don't know who else it could possibly be yeah. at this point. So that would make it really weird if you take away the Adesanya and then Blahovich won, that would force it to be Jones versus the other one, which not the end of the world, but I just don't know how that's going to go. So uh, the March timeline for me, I think it's probably fine. Stipe didn't have a lot of interest in it when he was initially asked, which you can understand. Yeah. He already beat the guy, and now he is, it seems, although we don't really know, but it seems like he's way better. He's, he seems better. I mean, if, if emotionally means anything, if uh, confidence-wise means anything, he sort of toned down the irrational confidence that comes with carrying a, a stick this big and now has sort of figured out, I think, more how to be a professional fighter in there. He's still going to be leaning heavy on the power, but I think he's a more seasoned you know, I'm guy. I'm not so sure about that. If you go back and you look at that fight against um, uh, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, he just took a bunch of risks. And if, like, you notice like how everyone loves these videos where someone's practicing a combo in the back and then they use it in a fight. It's like... Yeah, you think they just don't practice arm bars before before they hit them? I mean, they all do this, but okay. They love the symmetry of it. He was practicing certain combos, and he was supposed to go to them later, and he just abandons them. Now, he just has this blinding power where he's able to kind of get away with it. I'm still not fully convinced. I'm sure he's better. The question is, is he meaningfully better to the point where he has lapped or surpassed Stipe, which is why you should make the fight, but I'm, I'm suggesting to you that, like, He's earned it. Was it four first-round knockouts at this point against multiple former champions and blah, blah, blah? Okay, you give it to him. I'm not entirely convinced that he's the guy to get it done, though. Interesting. So you're saying Ngannou fights like guys on the Jersey Shore dress. They got plenty of good, you know, long sleeve shirts in the closet, but you got the muscles, you got the tats and the tan, you're going to wear the wife beater on the beach, right? I don't know what that means. What does that mean? I don't really know. Stuff just comes out. Did you get a good night's sleep last night? (laughs) 
Is all that right. what yeah. the hell all is right. wrong with you? Yeah, hey. Uh, all right, well, you know, we put this in a rundown. It's really not that interesting a topic, so we can move to the second one here pretty quickly. Uh, which is, we did kind of discuss this a little bit last night over the phone, and then today we did the Bellator weigh-ins. Uh, Bellator 250 is tomorrow. I got to say, you know what's kind of funny? I, I don't think, I'll just my personal opinion, I don't know that Thursday nights is like the best night to grab everyone's attention, especially when there's football on. And also, you have two guys in Musasi and Lima who, Musasi will get saucy with you, but only if the other person kind of provokes them or does something. But Lima is your consummate professional, so there's no trash talk whatsoever between them. But BC, you know as well as I do, this is maybe, and I'm not making a joke here, this is arguably one of the better fights that Bellator can make here. You have, you have Douglas Lima, your existing welterweight champion, jumping up a weight class in the main event, five rounds against uh, Gegard Mousasi, who lost his title against Rafael Lovato Jr., who had to hand the title back due to medical ailments. He fought, Gegard did, Lyoto Machida in a rematch. He won, but it was not super impressive. And here he is about 13 or so months later... Set this up for me. What are you expecting? What is this supposed to look like? I love this fight. When you add the stakes of the middleweight title and then the things you just mentioned about what it means to both of them, this now becomes one of the better fights you can make in all of mixed martial arts in 2020. And while it doesn't have the panache because Musasi doesn't get as saucy as an MVP in terms of filling out your quote books, you have style versus style, a fight that can be technical for five rounds and be a, an elite chess match or can get heated up in terms of the action. We saw them in the ceremonial way and sort of go face-to-face. I don't really think that Lima is that much smaller than him. It's only one inch in height. It's an inch and a half in reach. And as you saw, he, he told me he walks, Lima walks around at 200 pounds. He filled out really nicely in that 184.9 is what he weighed in. If it's not about size, Luke, Roy McDonald moving up against Musasi was about Clearly size. About size yes. If this is not about size, I don't know which direction this fight is going to go. And all the potential directions are really freaking interesting because it's sort of assumed, and Musasi agreed with this, that what you're seeing from Lima on this incredibly hot run right now is here's a guy whose power probably going to translate to middleweight. He's as good on the feet as really anybody in the world right now combining his full game. But Luke, what separates them? Is it the ground game that ultimately separates them? Is it Musasi's potential ability should he take him down to control on top? Outside of Lima spending too much time on his back, if this is striker versus striker, I think we're going to get an educated and entertaining battle. And I think it's one that Lima, the very slight underdog, has a very good shot at winning, Luke. I think Lima has a better shot than McDonald did. I still don't know how good of a shot it is. I think for Lima, the predominant weapons are going to be what? The leg kick. He's got good counter-striking. He's well-rounded. I think he is strong for his size. That may or may not matter so much against Musasi early. Late, though, I mean, here's the thing. Both guys, like early on, this might be boring. Honestly, it might be a little oh, yeah. bit, because both guys are going to be very careful, very calculated. There's no crowd to boo them in. The rematch with Rory for Lima was a chess match for exactly. a couple rounds. And, you know, listen, this is, uh, I'm not going to say it's do or die for Masasi, but, you know, you're nearly 60 fights deep into your career. You're not going to get a whole lot more title shots at this point, even an organization that doesn't have the biggest middleweight division in the world. So he really has to be kind of careful here. He was super careful against Machida. I think the difference, though, is Lima's going to be content to counterfight. And I think over time, not early necessarily, but over time, Musasi is going to be content to lead. And that might end up being a bit of the difference in the end because we can agree. Let's say, let's say size is a relative wash. Skills might even be a relative wash. Aggression, though, I don't think is going to be. And that might be just enough if the fight goes long 
to favor the natural middleweight. Well, Musasi, for the record, does believe that he's quicker than Lima, which, you know, you wouldn't think in theory that to be true. We're certainly going to find out on Thursday night if that is true. Musasi just as willing, he said, to play the chess match route or turn it into an action fight. But I want to ask you this about Lima, because we already You're sort high of... high on Lima. A very high on him. I mean, look, how could you not be watching? He's, first of all, he's a great dude. Check out the one-on-one I had with him on Morning Combat this week yes. on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Um, you know, he may not be a, a big quote filler from a you know, fantastical or, you know, supernatural way, but he's just a good, honest dude who's been working hard. And I think you'll agree, he's taken the hard road to get here. He's a three-time Bellator champion because he's had losses to Koresh Koff and Roy McDonald. Losses. 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 <laughs> and had to come back and redeem them. But here's what I want to ask you about Lima, who I'm very high on, Luke, okay? Yes, I, I All right? That. He's already the best-kept secret in MMA. He's in that argument where you're saying what he has done over the past two years could he be the best belt welterweight in the world? And we don't know that. We're not going to know that because he's probably not going to fight Kamaru Usman or, or anyone else, you know, tomorrow. So does this fight give him the opportunity, and he wants to defend both belts if he wins them, he wants to be a champ champ, just the fourth time in belt history, someone would hold two overall, just the third time, two simultaneously. Would this give him a shot at going even further than just the welterweight debate? Come Friday morning, pound for pound. when we do Morning Combat live Friday from this year Tug Shop, are we going to be saying, hey, maybe Tug Lima's top 10 pound for pound. Maybe he joins Demetrius Johnson of one championship as your only guy outside of the UFC right now that you're really it's making funny that you argument. Ask that. Yeah, you know what? Uh, if you ask me right now, do I think Lima is top 10 pound for pound, I'm going to say no. Ah, uh, there we are. Step out of the frame, sir, but appreciate you coming on. There it is. All right, we're back. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. That's Brian Campbell. This, is, uh, this, this was a show called Morning Combat. They're, they're literally pulling the plug on us as we speak, BC. All right, so if you're just joining us, uh, which is, I don't know who would stick around at this point, but at the beginning of the show, which started at noon, we were discussing a series of things in MMA. We had a... A studio outage? I don't know what you want to... And then well, the Luke, people online... Ch- the best is the people online be like, yeah, you got to get on XSplit and not use OBS. There's a full production studio here, Zeros. I'm not running this shit off someone's fucking iPad. Hey, Luke, if you can take it... people, don't, if I wish we had a compilation. We do have cameramen around here that are filming. I wish there was a compilation of your flameouts today because you have... Uh, you have. Well, everyone's like, we're not going to give you any gear you need to get the job done. Hey, can you get the job done? Yeah, I can. I can unfuck the problems that you've created. But Good breath, Luke, okay? You know, breathing. You know, I'm just saying. It's the hardest thing to do. All right, so... We, we might were... as well take our dongs out at this point. We're I know. Saying, this is just... I know. mean, just... Our guy, our guy Manich, is like, everybody's cell phone's off, as if that'll fix everything, right? <laughs> the show just fell apart. The lead producer, when we're going back on, goes, so uh, how do you want to get back in? I'm like, does it fucking matter at this point? We're 41 minutes into the show, and we've had five minutes of discussion. Yeah. Who cares? I mean, that's... You know how fat I am? I ate so many donuts this morning. How many donuts did you have? A lot, all right? I had half of one. You know, I went to the pizza good, place though. at 11 p.m. last night, too. It's just... Wait, you went where last night? To the pizza joint down the, around the corner. There's a pizza yeah. joint there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to get fat with me tonight? What did yeah. you... What, did you, right, what's, what was your pizza order? Uh, they had the Chicago deep dish slices, so I got two giant ones Whoa. there and, uh, and an orange soda How much there. was it? I uh, got a water, an orange soda, and a Gatorade. Took it all down in succession, so it was probably about fifteen bucks. You know, that's not so bad. No, for no, a couple deep no. dish slices. Yeah, what'd you put on top? Like, what was in the? 
Yeah, it was just plain cheese. I was in just fat mode, which is whatever I could see I'm going to eat. You know, I'm, yeah, not, I'm not getting specific. At I understand. I understand. Well, all right. We got to get this show back on track in some yeah. kind of way. Yeah. There's no real easy way to ease back. We were into talking it. Bellator, Lima, Musasi. You were wondering if I'm, uh, you know, blowing Douglas a little bit too hard, but I do believe in him. And I do believe in the idea, Luke, that sometimes the hotter, fresher fighter who's peaking upward at that moment, when things are relatively equal, is what separates him. So I want to ask you this. At 35, yeah. Gegard Mousasi, in one way, he's 11-1 and one in his last 12, which is incredible, going back over UFC and Bellator. In another way, he got a kind of a gift win against Alexander Shlomenko in his debut. A little bit. Uh, we saw him lose by decision to Rafael Lovato to lose his title. Rafael, he's not Brazilian, but okay. Really? Yeah, he's American. Oh, sorry about I that. Know, I actually interviewed sorry, Eddie Bravo. Sorry, I interviewed Eddie Bravo once, and I go, it's Rafael. He was like, he's American? I said, yeah. He goes... Would a cop know that if you pulled him over? Oh, God. It's, <laughs> it's still sad to me, okay? Uh, Luke, Shade, uh, Luke, so what I'm saying is, Musasi then in the rematch with Leota Machida. Yeah. Goes to a split decision. Very tight con. Is Musasi going in the wrong direction somewhat quietly, where a rising Lima is the wrong fight at the so wrong that's time? That's really what this fight hinges on. That is exactly correct. It's like, since going, because remember... When Musasi left UFC, it was on that controversial fight uh, after the Chris Weidman situation. And you thought for a moment, wow, like, he's okay. He might be the best middleweight or number one contender or you know, somewhere in that space. Then he jumps to Bellator. Shlomenko has been criminally underrated, so you could understand maybe that being a little bit closer. Folks don't often rate Bellator fighters. Folks get the Bellator ratings too wrong all the time. They either overrate them or super underrate them. They never get them quite right. I think Shlomenko has been uh, affected by that. Okay, fine. Then Lovato, we're talking about a guy who knows world-class jiu-jitsu who can wrestle. Okay. And then you had the situation with Machida. I think he had the Carvalho fight in there somewhere, too. And then he had the situation with Machida, as you indicated, which was a super tight contest. Split decision win. You thought, dude, Machida's 41. You should kind of roll on him here, and he didn't. So is Lima, who is peaking, getting an off-peak Machida? I'll say this. If he is... Lima can absolutely win this contest. In fact, if you look at the odds, they've got Musasi as a favorite, but BC, minus 165 to Lima's plus 145. Very, 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 very tight contest. By the way, did you see that tweet that was out there about all the Bellator cuts? Some big names. Got oh, like, yeah, so they cut, they cut Roy Nelson. They cut Frank Mir. I mean, that, those are somewhat expected. They, they cut former champion Rafael Carvalho, uh, Joe Schilling, Caveman Rickles, uh, Lovato officially did announce the retirement. He had the brain issue, unfortunately. But it goes to Derek Campos. It's AJ Agazarm. Is that how you say it? AJ Agazarm, yeah. There but were, he didn't. He underperformed. I'm saying there were about three to four others where you'd be, you know, uh, Juan Archuleta. Here, I have the whole list here. And, uh, it's uh, This is who got cut. Not Juan Archuleta. The other. Ricky Bandeja. Yeah, Juan Archuleta is the champion. Yeah. Uh, Vinicius Zani, Joe Warren, Manny Vasquez, Sean Bunch, former Olympic, uh, Olympian Olympic alternate. Mike Kimball. Now, this was the guy that was supposed to be that big prospect at a paradigm. That's from Connecticut. He, was, he looked great for a while. By the way, his folks tried to play hardball with me on an interview one time. Shouts to them for that amazing decision on their part. Ricky Bandejas, AJ Ag- I, I don't. I don't take slights like that kindly. Wow, especially not after a day when everything's falling apart. Luke. I was okay. like, really? The guy was 1-0. Y'all want to play hardball with me on a 1-0 fighter? Okay. Ricky Bandejas, AJ Agazarm, Adele Altamini. Some of these guys I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Derek Campos, who had a Brendan Gertz's fighting as the co-main event. And the Derek Campos fight against Brandon Gertz was a classic. That was a great one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Haim Gozali, who, who's been a sort of a staple for them. Richard Keeley, Ion Pascu, 
David Rickles, Joe Schilling. Joe Schilling got let go. Tuco Tokos. Is Tuco the guy from Breaking Bad? I can't remember. Rafael, uh, Rafael Carvalho, Roy Nelson, Frank Mir, Christina Williams, who fought against uh, uh, Heather Hardy, and then a couple other people I didn't hear about. And by the way, the retirements are John Fitch, Rafael Lovato Jr., and then Pat Coran, the former champion. There it is. You can say Curran, though. It's all right. Whatever. Uh, all right. So, look, we got that main event, sort of. We know it's going to be a great fight. You don't like to really go on the record. I, I'm, I'm believing in Lima here. I think he can pull this off. I don't think that's crazy at all. Uh, do you like the rest of the card? Do you like that co-main event, that potential banger at featherweight as Henry Corrales? He's riding a two-fight losing streak, but he just got a new Bellator deal. Yep. He fought the very best, losing to Deering Caldwell, losing to the current champion, Juan Archuleta. Yeah. Going in there against Brandon Gertz, who's coming down from lightweight. Brandon Gertz, heavy hitter at 155. Again, the fight against Campos, where they were just killing each other. Bloodbath. He goes down a weight class. Actually, both of these guys are in pretty similar positions in that every time they step up against the very elite or the big names, they tend to have issues, with the exception of Corrales, who knocked out Pico. But other than that, he, oh, no, sorry, excuse me. And, and, uh, let me correct that. That's not fair to Corrales. He also beat Georgie Karakanian. That's a very big win for him Definitely. as well. So I'll give him that. But against the truly, truly upper, upper, upper tier, he's had some issues. Brandon Gertz, the same kind of thing at 155. The question is, what kind of uh, power will he have down a weight class? Will his gas tank be affected? To what extent are those relevant factors when assessing this fight? But I'll tell you this much. Corrales, wide open striker. Brandon Gertz, wide open striker. Tends to mix it up a little bit, likes to wrestle a little bit more. I, I, all action written all over it. Uh, they're giving us, spell, as Bellator can often do, they're filling the undercard, at least with some interesting names and storylines coming in. Nick Newell, this is the third fight in his Bellator journey, won yeah. the first, lost a split decision to a guy, I believe it was Manny Murrow, who then got a Bellator contract afterwards. Newell did say, look, um, I took too many fights in a short period. I came in maybe a little bit overworked against a guy who was uh, certainly hungry. Given Nick Newell's situation, Luke, the congenial amputee. Congenital. Uh, congenital. Congenial. Congenial is like a, a word that's like, you're like Master P when you mix eloquent and elegant. It's eloquent. Yeah, I, put the, like I put the genital and congenital, I'll tell you that much. Uh, but I will say this, Luke. Get out. Um, we know his situation. He was good in World Series of Fighting. Yes. UFC gave him the, the tryout with the Dana White Contender Series. He lost that fight. That was going to be it. Bellator's giving a chance here. Does he need a win, though? All things considered, given his situation, does he need a win here? So he sits at 16-3. and three. He's a good draw for them in Connecticut, which right now doesn't really matter, obviously, because of the situation. I, I don't think he's on some kind of chopping block. He had the win in his debut. He had the loss in the split decision in the second one. Um, listen, they, they put him on a prelim card. When they have crowds again, he's valuable for that. Historically, he has been good for generating media. Less so these days in the second run. I mean, I think the story about here, this, here's this guy who wants to do MMA who's been a congenital amputee. It's an amazing story, but it's been told a lot. How many times can you sort of retell it? At that point, the fighting has to take over a little bit. And he's, had, he's been up and down in that regard. So I don't think he's on any kind of chopping block, but I would suspect that if you... I don't think this is going to get him cut if he loses, but... A, you know, any any kind of career growth, any kind of sticking power in a big show probably hinges on an ability to, you know, win two out of every three, not lose two out of every three. He'll be taking on Zachary Zane. Uh, I do like, uh, by the way, Nick Newell's just sort of fighting spirit. Love the interviews. He's a very 
He's very inspirational guy, so I'll give him that. Beyond the inspirational story, just his regular demeanor as a fighter, I like that. He's a very nice person, yes. Uh, My guy, Jake Hager, formerly Jack Swagger in the WWE, now making big moves, of course. Did he have an erection today at the weigh-in? Let's let's just do it right now. He's known for one thing in my life, the greatest post-fight sound interview that we've ever seen in the history of mixed martial arts. Gaff in the back, can you hit me with the horns, Monty? Please, you got to give it to me right now. Does he? I quit. I quit. All right, let's just. Does he? Uh, is that what he has to do? All right, do? We, we, it, was, it was good. Uh, do you ah, want me to act there it out? is. There we go. There we go. It happened so fast, but you know what? I'm rock hard. He's got right a weird face, emotion. doesn't he? I got a phoner. He invented the phoner, Luke, which on his terms is a fight boner, meaning you're so rock hard with emotion that you're feeling it. He changed his nickname to Rock Hard. Here's the deal. Is that how you, is that how you explain away all the boners you have to TSA? <laughs> right. I've got a boner for this flight. <laughs> Sir, right. why do you have a full erection? <laughs> you're on a 45-minute flight. Woo! Uh, and you have no baggage. I don't know why you just come with this giant. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> so he's 2-0 as a pro. He had a third fight. He punched a guy in the nuts, which is you know on point for Bellator. He won't be fighting a meat packer this time, though, a guy straight off the... Uh, Straight off the slaughterhouse. Dude, they, he <laughs> literally fought the guy who, like, slices your salami at Piggly Wiggly. He'll be fighting I mean, uh, what the fuck 2-0 Brandon Calton. Uh, Luke. He's from Virginia. I'm from Virginia. You know, Hager's a legit 6'7". He's looked good against nominal competition. Here's what's interesting. This is another just sort of who-are-you type of fight. He's been off for a year doing wrestling. He's 38 years old. He says within six months to a year, I will be fighting legitimate Bellator heavyweights. Do you like anything you've seen so far from him in the cage? Yeah, look, he obviously is, he wrestled Division One, did he not? I, uh, he's from Oklahoma. I don't know. I think at a bare minimum he wrestled at a collegiate level. Yes, uh, which is nothing, uh, no small matter here in the United States. It's hard to do that, even if you're Division Three. Um, to the extent that he has used it in his fights, he clearly has been a skill differential. Granted, he's been fighting. He played know, football and wrestling at Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's a lot. Like, that's not that's not easy to do. Uh, so, you know, he's a legitimate athlete. I think he's a little bit older, though, right? Then he kicking forty. Thirty eight. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he's a little bit longer in the tooth, but they're matching him up so far with people. I mean, the dude he's fighting is from Coburn, Virginia, which you know I spent a lot of years of my life in Virginia. I don't even know where that is. Let me look this up. Coburn is that like near Loray Caverns? Where is this? Oh, this dude is near Bristol. I mean, Jesus Christ. His gut Christ. wasn't that big. And, you know, Bellator's really good. If you're doing the Bobby Lashley circuit, they'll get you a lot of fat guys, fat white guys. This dude, this is past big. Blacksburg and Roanoke. I mean, yeah. All right, well, let me ask you this. What is what is Jake Hager's endgame? Is it a loss to somebody like Czech Congo, or is it beating a Bobby Lashley in a wrestler, pro wrestler versus pro wrestler fight? Yeah, probably something like that. I don't know that he's going to climb the ranks in any kind of serious way. Again, not that he did. if he had started at a different time... It, he looks like he's got some real ability. You know, all jokes aside about pro wrestling, he looks like he has some real ability. But the question is, what are his real goals? And the question is, what does Bellator want to do with him? He's fun as, like, an interesting attraction who can actually fight. Yes. I don't know that he's fun as, like, wow, he could be champion in this organization. Well, he is. Uh, he was the real American Jack Swagger, and he has been all pro-Trump heading into this fight, Luke. So you can deal with that however you deal, because you get all ants in the pants about politics and stuff. But, Luke, the other fight of note, that, dude. Um, Adam uh, Boric. All, all the fighters love Trump. Adam Boric is back. And this was a guy who, did anyone have a better 2019 than him upsetting Aaron Pico and then sending yeah, but, Pat Curran yeah, to but, retirement? Yeah, exactly, except... 2020, 
2020, so he loses to Darian Caldwell in the welterweight world Grand Prix. Fast. And then he came back against uh, Mike uh, Hamill, and that was a real fight for Adam Boric. They fought to a split decision. Boric got the win, but it was a fight, Luke. He's coming in there against Eric Sanchez, a Team Alpha male guy. Do you still see in the Hungarian the same future stardom that, that, my, that my guy Rashad Evans was barking about going way back at Sanford MMA? Yeah, so this one's at a catch weight. Of a, they've got it listed at lightweight in certain places, but it's 150 pounds. He looked awesome uh, through his Bellator run when he was beating Silva, Pico, Coran. And you're like, wow, dude, this is going to... And then he just got ran You can call him Curran. It's Pat Curran. It's fine. He got run over by Darian Caldwell. The fight ended, what was it, 220 into the first round. I mean, it was not very competitive at all. You thought, shit. I mean, it's not that he lost. It looked like Aljo Sanhagen, if you want to be really honest. uh, It kind of did. It kind of did, where it was just like... If that was all you ever knew about Corey Sanhagen, you wouldn't say that was super representative of him. So maybe that's what happened here. I think it, it made us take a second to go, okay, this guy coming out of Hungary, yes, he trains at Hard Knocks 365, he trains with world-class fighters, but maybe there's a little bit more seasoning on that. In fact, I think he's a young guy. He only stands at, eh, not too young, 27, but still pretty young enough. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to see what he can show us in this one as he begins to, not like some major rebuilding, but developmental process I think is still a little bit... Needs some work. I think he'll be back up to that level, into the title level, falling out of that tournament. We will see that tournament coming back in November on two consecutive cards for Bellator on the CBS Sports Network. So check out this Bellator 250 card Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, on our on our brotherhood there, the CBS Sports Network. Uh, Luke, you want to take us into uh, the other topic of the week? Yeah, we got to move along here because we uh, we lost about half an hour. Due we to, lost uh, a lot of our life today. Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been a rough day. It's been a rough one. Um, so let's move it along. This weekend is going to be the, uh, well, let's call it what it is. It's the crown jewel of the boxing calendar, at least insofar as Showtime is concerned. There's actually a lot of boxing on this weekend. We'll get a little bit more to the rest of it on Friday's show. But for today, remember, the reason why we're in the studio is because tomorrow and then Friday we'll be guiding through the press conference and the weigh-ins for Gervonta, Gervonta Davis, excuse me, taking on Leo Santa Cruz. Uh, Two titles up for grabs. And really, probably the toughest fight of Gervonta's career, who's been backed by Floyd Mayweather. Honestly, BC, you've been around this world a little bit longer than I have. Actually, a lot longer. So call what it is. Have you ever seen Floyd back a fighter the way he's backed Gervonta? Never, never. So Floyd's Mayweather promotions got started when Floyd was still active. And, you know, he's had... Jay Leon Love got him to the title level. He's had Badu Jack, who's become a very successful uh, warrior and champion out there, and has been, you know, an advocate for certain fighters. But Gervonta, it's been much deeper than that. The, the mentor, the big brother, and now even getting into the corner. You still have Calvin Ford, uh, the, the Baltimore-based trainer there, as, as sort of Gervonta's lead trainer and father figure. But Floyd is really filling in the gaps. And I like it more specifically, Luke, while it may be more valuable for the lessons Floyd can teach Gervonta from the standpoint of professionalism, cleaning up some of the the outside-the-ring stuff that a lot of young athletes uh, unfortunately get into. I like more of what Floyd can do inside the ring ropes, Luke, because Gervonta's blowing people away in these smaller weight classes. You know, he's the Mike Tyson of the low weight classes in some way. He hasn't really had to show the full boxing game. The more that Floyd can do to keep him calm, to, to show him how to bring out those wrinkles, if he ends up becoming a complete fighter, Luke, not just send you to hell, but be able to outbox you. You're still looking at age 25 as one of the future pillars of this sport. We have this group of young guys, the Ryan Garcias, Devin Haney's, Teofimo Lopez. Uh, 
Shakur Stevenson belongs in that conversation. We still don't know yet if Javante Davis could be the best out of that group. I think he's showing you that he's got a head start on everybody from a brand and marketing point. The real story for me in this in this is how big is Javante Davis's brand? He draws huge celebrity fandom to his fights. He put big fans in LA, went to Baltimore and sold out that arena for his homecoming, went to Atlanta, Atlanta yeah. and put out some, some big numbers there. If he can put up good pay-per-view numbers here against a, a well-known name, a guy who has, you know, rooted in that Mexican-American community, you really are talking about somebody who's going to be leading the charge as the next big star. You gotta be able to do both and you gotta be able to stay professional. To see Floyd give this much of himself, well, you can easily say, hey, I saw all access. Floyd's hogging up the cameras. Well, he's also putting Tank over. But what's more important to me is what they do behind the scenes when the cameras are off. Right. And is Tank ready to really bite down, be in the best shape that he can be, and completely well-round his game? Luke, you've seen flashes of him. If you're telling me that Gervonta is completely bought in and we're going to see the best of him on Saturday, he may blow through Leo for all we know. He's that good. Yeah, here's the thing. I'm looking at the odds here. Gervonta is sitting at about a minus 700, and you've got Leo Santa Cruz at about plus 500 or so. This can change depending on where you look. Again, the line could close between now and whenever, but that's what they have right now. i got to tell you, I don't know that I, I, I agree with that. I don't know that I see that as that much of a distance between the two because Santa Cruz, to me, is being badly overlooked here. Now, all the things you mentioned, like Floyd really getting behind him and the achievements he's had to date, uh, Gervonta, they're all real, but had some issues on the scale, and this weight is being, this fight is being contested at a weight that could challenge that, or at least resurface those problems, first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is, what Gervonta really has is just incredible decision-making and huge power for his size, yeah. hence the name Tank. Santa Cruz does not. But Santa Cruz, what he has is something that could be kryptonite for somebody who has issues on the scale and maybe is like sort of a one-hitter-quitter type, by the way, he didn't drop Gamboa in that fight until in Atlanta until late in the contest. If you hang around against Tank, well, you hang Hake. around against him, and that's what Leo said, my goal is to avoid the power early and First five rounds. pull on his gas tank down the stretch. Dude, Leo's, Santa Cruz has huge volume yes. all over you like white on rice. And good length. Yeah, and he's very, very experienced as well. He's fought, I would say, uh, in terms of the uh, who's fought more of their high-end peers. Yeah. I would say Cruz has done more than Davis to this point. Two fights with Abner Mars, two with Carl Frampton that were both classic. Right. And so to me, it's like maybe it's true that Cruz is more weathered. In fact, it's definitely true he's more weathered. And that may be a big difference. I still see this as a very competitive fight. I still lean towards Davis. Um, this is the fight he needs to show that he can beat some of these more known names. And we'll see what happens after that. Um, maybe a Gary Russell Jr. fight, uh, the fight, the Battle of the Beltways or something, right, here in D.C. and in, the, in Baltimore. But... I, I don't really agree with the odds that it's this much of a mismatch. I don't. Well, think, I don't those think odds will look fine if Gervonta comes in, puts the power on him, and gets him out of there within three rounds, which is it's in play for every Gervonta Davis opponent. No, ball? Santa Cruz does not get manhandled. He doesn't have high-end power. I think right when he moved it to featherweight, you saw that, okay, he's not a high-end power guy, but he's a volume guy. And what he showed in the two fights with Carl Frampton is he has other ways to win than just coming ahead with hurricanes of punches. He can use the jab. He can alter his strategy. If he's still there and he's looking good, meaning Leo Santa Cruz in round seven, eight, nine, that's when we're going to find out what Gervonta is really made of. And it just so happens that no one's been able to pull that out of him. I know Gamboa lingered for a long time, right, before getting stopped. 
no one's really been able to pull that out of him. Leo could be that guy, and that's why you need to see this fight, along with the idea that Gervonta's finally stepping up to that level to find out how big his brand is. Celebrities love him. You got Floyd back in him. Also, Will that be- equal the same box office success? You know, with, with the pay-per-view buys, we're going to find out. Also, should be noted something. Uh, I've been to, we went to the fight in Baltimore against, was it Ricardo Nunez? Yeah, that was, uh, that was a crowd and a half there. Okay, they a crowd were and a half. So, let, let me explain something. So I've been to two fights at the same arena one was the Tank Davis fight, and the other one was John Jones versus Glover Teixeira. Royal Farms Arena? Royal Farms Arena. I forget what it was called before. But in, in any case, the first time I went was when Jones fought Teixeira. It was back in 2014 or whenever it was. And that arena was a lot of Baltimore fight fans, predominantly white. Let's just call it what Reflection it was. Reflection t-shirts? Uh, that was fading out by that point a little bit. Uh, gla- Black no, we, leather jackets. You no, know what? There was a lot of like real fight fans there. Oh. Okay. okay. So, so then we go fast forward to 2019. You and I go to the fight there in Baltimore, and it was predominantly African-Americans. And I'm going to tell a story here. I know people are going to call bullshit on it, but it's really true. I remember the night we, were, we did not go to Atlanta, but I remember the night he fought Gamboa in Atlanta. I had two friends with me, one from Europe who, who moved to Europe for work and came back. I was like, hey, let's go bar hopping. And we went bar hopping in this place in D.C. called H Street. And H Street is like this weird mix of all different kinds of people, all different kinds of groups. And we went, and I remember there was a football game being played, a big SEC football game being played the exact same day. And a bunch of the bars we went to that catered to, like a, which you would consider to be you know, a mixed crowd, they all had the game on. We wandered into a bar that catered specifically towards African Americans, and on all three floors of the bar, they had the Showtime broadcast for Tank Davis. He appeals to African Americans in a way that I've not seen a lot of other boxers that are hit that as uh, 25 years old that pull as strongly in that demo as he does deserves to be noted. Yeah, that that crowd when we were in that arena, I like boxing. Uh, you know, in some places, going back more to hometown markets. You saw Terence Crawford with Topper and going to Omaha, and, and the places were wild. There was an energy in that building. You know, maybe Tank. it's the hometown thing, but Tank brings a different element of crowd, a crowd and, and style here, which is why you can't underscore. Why were his, you smirking when I told that story? Um, you not believe me? I swear to God. No, no, no. I believe you. The way God you set it up was was like uh, you because know, anytime I tell you a story, you sort of like, set it up like we were there that night. Not a lot of white people in that building, though. What if, <laughs> it's you know. true. It was it was a huge African American audience. Yeah. It's just you don't appreciate it. The difference, and one is not better than the other. They are just different. I'm simply noting it's well nearly 40 minutes between intro. Well, more than that, 45 minutes between walkout introduction. If it goes a full 12. Right, well, it's just, uh, and it's got it's got all these breaks in the middle. The UFC's figured out how to make it work. They haven't suffered. I don't know how when we're watching on TV. MMA is MMA is m- most MMA fights are better without fans. What I can agree, they're not with, better without fans. They've made it work to where you don't notice that that. Dude, this is like saying the concert I went to for Metallica was better with an audience. Oh no, wait, the private Metallica concert I had was actually better. That's the difference, Luke. This cheese pizza analogy shit is ridiculous. That doesn't how it's not how it works. Okay, one person sex is pretty good. Two people changes the changes the <laughs> dynamic. Yeah, you know? three is gonorrhea. No yeah. thanks. I'm out. <laughs> you know, I'm you, out. you get a group of people. You get, you know, yeah. I'm out. Uh, all right. Well, with that in mind, we can move it along here. Uh, let's get to uh, our next segment. You take it away. All sir. right. Every Wednesday, SJW time, we scour the interglobes to find the biggest beefs going on in combat sports and beyond, and we bring in the honorable. Judge Joseph Fauci over here to... Uh, no, someone said I should be, uh, instead of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I should be Luke Bader Luke Ginsburg. Luke Bader, LBG, LBGT LBG. in the house over here. Luke Bader Ginsburg. 
Let's start here. I could easily start with John Jones uh, defending himself in the Habib debate, but uh, we've already been. Christ. God, he's, he won't stop. <laughs> Can't stop, won't stop. I mean, he just won't. He John, you're so damn good. John, I love you, bro. The, okay, all, you're first, so damn good. You don't need to, like, let, let the resume speak for I know. itself. And also, right. it's like, here's two things that I don't think he really appreciates. One, people who really know, like, who really know. Yeah. John's case is overwhelming. Those who know, no. Yeah. Number two, it's like, dude, the instant you fight at heavyweight and win, even if it's not Francis or whatever, just some like a one-off, the instant you go up there and get a win, everyone is going to come right back around. That they're only giving it to Habib because he, he has a decent case. I wouldn't call it an overwhelming case. He has a decent case. And he, by the way, he just won and retired. Feelings are strong. For Let him, him have right his now. moment. Although, Let look, have his moment. The UFC and then you'll did have your moment. make the change to put Habib number one and John two, but a lot of us already had that change, okay? It is what it is. Um, John's big argument, though, when he put out that video on Instagram yesterday. I didn't watch that. Uh, he was calling out Habib's fans, and he's like, his big debate was he, every championship win he calls championships. Which is weird, but he says he has, so John has the UFC record with 14 wins in title fights. Right. He's calling it 15 because he's counting the, the second Cormier no contest as a win. Okay. So he's saying, I, had, I have 15 championships, meaning wins in title fights. Habib has four. Habib has four. And he's going 15 to four, 15 to four. And it's certainly, look, I have John number one, and, and that's a big part of the argument. But you do have to say this about Habib. Not only did he have the unfortunate large blocks missing, the UFC kind of effed him and strung him along to make Conor Eddie Alvarez happen when, when Habib deserved it more. And then Correct. Habib threatened, I'll never fight in Russia for you. And then and he then was going to go to welterweight And John was able to skip the line because Rashad got injured. Yes. And so he was able to go from Bader to Shogun pretty quickly. So, so it, it, whatever. It is what it is. Let's start on SJW this week. Nate Diaz versus the world, Luke. When, uh, <laughs> when people started calling Habib the GOAT after beating oh, Justin Gaethje, hell. Nate came out on Saturday and was uh, white God belt. God bless the Diaz brothers, boy. They will just rain on your fucking parade. Uh, he came back with, uh, none of these guys know Jiu-Jitsu, uh, Poirier, Gaethje, McGregor. I ain't eating this shit up like y'all, okay? Oh, are you kidding okay? me? Then Diaz came back and posted <laughs> 29 and one. <laughs> In reference to the, but what he's talking about here is the altercation. The fight at the World Series. World Series of Fighting, in which he claims to have slapped Habib. And we have a quote here from Diaz saying, When I ran into him and his team at the World Series, I was standing there watching Jake, my friend, fight, Jake Shields. And they took a group picture with me behind them just to laugh at me and make fun of me. Habib is like, ah, come on, man. And they're all laughing. Twelve Russian dudes. So I slapped Habib in the face for making fun of me. And I'm like, what? And he didn't do anything. I was outside furious. So I waited for him to come out. And when I, when I went to get him and he ran off. The Diaz brothers love that. If you don't show up to fight, it's, a, it's an L. Whether it's in a cage or not, right? Yeah. Poirier pulled out of UFC 205. That's or even if you fight them and win, they consider or 230, it 230, UFC 230. Sorry. Like, if you ask Nate who won the, the, the rematch he had with Connor, he's going to tell you, I won that. Like, he'll count that as yes. an actual win. Yes. Even though, and it's like, you know, the argument is obviously quite silly because he fought RDA. Granted, he was injured when he fought him, but RDA, first of all, RDA knows jiu-jitsu, and RDA demolished him. Uh, and then Habib demolished the RDA. And what's really important about that is because he didn't do it on the feet. He took him down constantly. Oh, yeah. and that was the eye-opener if you, when you were like, Right, okay, you were like, well, took him down with ease, passed guard yes. with ease. Like, he really had no problems with him on the ground. Also, we've seen the Diaz brothers get their guard shredded a number of times. And, oh, by the way, Josh Thompson 
knocked Diaz out. I mean, it's like... So what, what you're saying is, Nate, don't make us like actually look at this and, and make us point these things out because we love you so much we don't want to point out this. Yeah, thing. it's like, dude, Nate is such an interesting addition to this and I almost appreciate how much he's like, the world is going this way and he's like, fuck all y'all. Well, you know? postscript on this, Dana did uh, claim differently from that Habib story from 2014. Oh. Dana claimed, and here's a tweet from 2014, that Nate turned down the offer to fight Habib back Ooh. then. Now, that's years before the world series of fighting incident but and also nate you know probably just again it was probably for turning, 15 and 15 yeah, though right turn, was, yeah exactly turning fights down doesn't mean shit to me to be quite honest shouldn't with that you. be a loss in nate diaz's book you turn to fight down it's a loss so we're asking by diaz logic does this count as an l i guess it does you know what? we took an l today by diaz logic <laughs> you know what? Right? if nate and habib fought in the cage according to nate logic it would be the third time. It would be the rubber match. All right. Well, you referenced Josh Thompson, the uh, the great voice of Bellator, former Strike Force right. fighter and UFC fighter, posted this in response to Nate. Oof. Tough to argue with that. I think he wins. Yeah, he wins. yeah. He, uh, yeah uh, Luke Bader Ginsburg rules in favor of yeah. the <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next case, the people versus Luke Thomas. No, it is... Um, Conor McGregor and Fabricio Verdum got into what the how did this thing start? See, I miss all of this because I, I don't follow any of these. So I miss this Twitter. too. Shout out to Mikey Mormon, our producer, for finding this. McGregor quote tweeted his teammate. Uh Sinead Kavanaugh. Okay, he said, It is crazy to think Bellator MMA still do not have a performance enhancing drug testing system in place. They do. It is long overdue time the promotion adopts a reputable testing body, blah, 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 in order to So keep they actually do safe. have one uh, with the Mohegan Sun uh, folks. Mike Mazzulli. Okay, so um, then Connor. So that's, yeah, that's the Mohegan you can, Commission. You can say you don't think it's good enough, but they do right. have one. I mean, there was the Kimbo Slice situation where he failed the test, and they were going to promote him in Europe. Again, you can say it's shit. Right. They, it, the, 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 the argument that it doesn't exist is is technically wrong. So Connor taking shots at Bellator. Verdum, who some people think could get signed with Bellator soon, comes out and yeah. says losers will always try to find excuses. Champions work very hard and don't distracted by ants. Right. At Cyborg's Gloves, which isn't even the real Cyborg, is a living legend. McGregor is... Fila de puta. I'm guessing that means son of a bitch. Yeah, that that would be that. That would be that. Okay, so we have that going. Nice little comeback there from Verdum. McGregor fires back with a counter. Huh? I did not mention Chris whatsoever. Nothing to do with Chris at all. It is a respect to the... No, it was a request. ...to the promotion as a top-tier one to up its PDD program, as currently there is zero in place... It's a dangerous business, blah, blah, blah. Okay, okay, Connor, I got you. And then he came for Verdum one last time, though, because Connor's got... <laughs> Man, got, fuck you. He's like, actually, uh, aren't you banned for steroids, bro? You got your sentence reduced for ratting other people out. You know, Connor hates rats. Does he? And also just recently signed to this promotion I speak of. Yeah, F you. Uh, then Verdum pulled out his boomerang and threw it at Colby Covington. No, he came back with... The funny thing is, it was because a girl, 145, that trains at your gym, Sinead Kavanaugh, posted a tweet about testing following Cyborg beating her up. So that's where the Cyborg connection is. Uh, but why did he tag Cyborg's gloves? I mean, who the fuck is that? And now uh, Verdum like says, why are ice? you backtracking? And then we got uh, Verdum. He has been pissed off. And hell hath no fury like a Verdum pissed. You do Scarface amounts of coke. Oh, you come, shit. never popped. You got arrested for showing up naked in the pub, and you are a rapist. Eesh. Whoa. Wow. Dude, they go for the jugular on uh, He's now. not done. He's not done. An alcoholic, a cokehead, should not worry about testing anything. Coker always does a good job. It's 3 a.m. in Ireland. You must be lonely. 
Uh, too much cocaine and drunk. You tell us. All right. Uh, he, he, he didn't stop there, but it's really just oh. ad nauseum at that point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any Yeah, of he's this. going for the judge. He's posting a link to Connor's uh, sexual assault accusations. And he's going, you shouldn't manage any females because you cannot be trusted with anyone's daughter or wife. When I see you, I'm going to give you the Brazilian slap. Have you ever had the Brazilian slap? Uh, uh, mercifully, no. All right, all right. I, I don't think. Okay. This is why she tap, just like you. No, but that was that was Blenco, right? I don't know anymore. That Luke, can you Blenco. rule in here? Verdum threw his weight around here, defending Bellator and Cyborg and all Brazilians. But this ain't Colby Covington he's going against. I mean, I don't even know what to say. That is, that's, that's a lot to digest right there. You know, you know, at least Rumble fits it into one tweet. He's like, you got a problem with me? Okay, yeah. I'm going to give you the BBC, bro. And I'm, we're done. Yeah, we're done. And then here, he okay? called him loose booty and yes, every other yes. thing. But you're right. It was in within, oh, is it 240 characters, whatever it is now? Uh, he kept it, he, there was an economy of language. He was parsimonious to a degree. This guy just brought out the fucking hammer on He did. Him. He dropped it on him. Um, you know, the, the people are now catching on to my new nickname, BBC. Big Beige Campbell, long and strong, down to get the friction on. No one calls you that. You should see my DMs. They're spectacular. Yeah, full of other people's dicks. I'll All pass. Right. All right. No, thank you. Yeah, that's SJW for the week. We're trying to piece this shit together. Oh, yeah, no homework this week, guys. Luke and I, as you know, will be hanging out later, late night, hotel room. Yes. A little bit of uh, Red Shoe Diaries coming back for you. All right. Uh, room service diaries. Yes, thank you. It's not going to be soft core porn. All or right, thank you. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, with that in mind, let's talk about this a little bit here, BC. We'll go into our deep dive segment of the week. Anderson Silva, it appears that his run has come to an end or has it. Here's what we think we know. He had, it was initially reported that Anderson Silva's fight this weekend against Uriah Hall um, was going to be his last and then, this morning, it was an interview with ESPN's Ariel Hawani where he says, well... Fine Canadian journalist. Uh, where uh, Silva says, uh, it's definitely my last fight in UFC, but it may not be... He goes, we'll see after that. And if you listen to him say it, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but well, it, it just appears that, like, he definitely intends... You listen to that interview, you don't feel like he's done. Ariel did ask him, are they making you retire? What did Silva he say to says, that? no, that no. is not a conversation that happened. They did argue back and forth about does Silva have one fight left or two fights left on the deal. It seems like there's an additional fight left on the deal after this, Luke. Yet we saw Silva double down twice in this interview and say, you know, this is really just the end of my UFC run. We'll see what happens with the other organizations. Gun to your head, he's 45. Yep. He's 1-6 with the one no contest since 2013. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's faced top competition. Some of those fights, the Bisping fight could have gone other way. Some bad match, matchmaking, some injuries, some bullshit against Weidman. That was his fault as far as the whole thing falling apart, right? Yeah. Drug tests, injuries, a little bit of both here in terms of what you look at over the last seven years. Do we see Anderson Silva again after this Uriah Hall fight? Yeah, no doubt about it. Now, where and under what circumstances, that part I cannot say with any degree of certainty. But he did not sound like a man who was at all done. In fact, he was talking about how important it was that he continue, that the fans demanded that he continue, that this was a cause for him, not merely an option that he could go forward with. But here's how I want to frame the conversation, BC. Let's assume for the second that we can say it's his last fight in UFC. Here is his UFC run. He entered the UFC in June 28th of 2006, and this is what he has done since then. He beat Chris Lieben, Rich Franklin, Travis Luter, Nate Marquardt, Rich Franklin again, 
Dan Henderson, James Irvin, Patrick Cote, I'm going to stop making fingers for it, Talis Lightes, Forrest Griffin, Demi and Maya, Chael Sonnen, Vitor Belfort, Yushin Okami, Chael Sonnen again, and then Stefan Bonner. Now, since then, we all know the story. Two losses to Chris Weidman, the no contest against Diaz, the loss to Bisping, somewhat controversial. The fill-in against Daniel Cormier last minute doesn't really count a whole he lot. He hurt him. He hurt him to the body. He did hurt him to the body. He did beat Derek Brunson. Uh, he did lost. he really, though? Did he really? Yeah, it was a terrible fight. And then he lost to Adesanya, which was fair, and then he had the injury against Jared Cannonier. Here's what I want to say, though. Yeah. You know, he went into the UFC. By the time he fought uh, Chris Lieben, he went into that fight with a 17-4 and record. He was coming off the Ong Bak win over Tony Fricklin in Cage Rage. What can you say about, if this is the end, what can you say about Silva's run in the UFC? Uh, absolutely spectacular. Certainly, without question, a no-brainer, well, Hall of Famer for sure, but no-brainer finalist in this group of three, four, five who have a legitimate claim at the throne of the greatest of all time. I mean, there's no question about it. The, the, the record for title defenses he had for a long period of time before Demetrius Johnson broke it, the consistency. But I think what separates his legacy for me, Luke, and makes it a little bit unique compared to George St. Pierre compared to even John Jones. And by the way, it is a little bit of a shame that he didn't get super fights with either of them when you look back at both scenarios in that situation, is that he transcended the sport, yes, but he transcended it in a way of artistry that none of those other guys have. John Jones have come close at times, but Anderson Silva was a freaking video game. Whether your favorite moment is the front kick against Belfort or the ridiculous soul cleansing he did against Forrest Griffin, where it's just like, you know, bing. Either, or, or even the one against Bonner. <laughs> By the way, shout out to Bonner for, for getting full tan, getting the abs, and then juice into the gills for that one, for the biggest what, moment of his you, life. Honestly. But, uh, what, you know, whichever of those moments that you pick, Luke, he reached a level where it's not just a Habib or John Jones prime dominance where you're like, find me somebody that can beat him. It's a different thing. It was more like... Is he going to be able to find a way to beat somebody that I never thought of before, that I never thought I could see in an elite fight, in a dangerous fight against another guy on his level? He would do things that just didn't seem fair, normal, possible. His mastery and control of the moment was something that I don't think really any other UFC fighter, even when McGregor was red hot, really ever reached a level of respect and awe that people had for him. It was Jordan-esque. It was sort of like otherworldly. Nobody's had that, which is why even to this day, with the drug thing, we can talk about that more, with the, the hanging on too long, with this long losing streak, with the everything considered... If you still have Anderson Silva as your greatest of all time, what the hell can you say against that? You really can't say anything against it. It's preference at this point. He has ticked every box across the board, and I think he's uniquely different than all those other guys that he's up against. I mean, if we, if we look at the entirety of his UFC run, I don't think you can say it's the best UFC run ever because there's just too many losses here at the end. But if you wanted to go from the debut against Chris Lieben all the way up until the Stefan Bonner fight, you are talking about, like, what is it, a 16-fight run, whatever it is it ends up being. That is maybe the best run of that number of fights mm -hmm. any fighter has ever had at any point in MMA history ever. Like, that is how good that is. And to your point, it's not just that he got his hand raised at the end, although that you could make that consideration as well. It was that he redefined what was possible. He inspired your imagination. He was a figure of adoration because of his martial arts creativity and his spirit, the front kick to the face, the Ongbach elbow. That was one of the hardcores because it happened in London at Cage Rage. But, you know, again, the Forrest Griffin one, he had a million of these. And the clinch against uh, Rich Franklin was so 
frightening and ferocious. Vicious. And then it was always complemented by this sort of like Mike Tyson kind of voice a little bit where yeah. he sounded a little bit like a squeaky mouse to a degree. And then he would go in there and do these ferocious things. You know, he made a point, Adriel Adesanya, talking about Anderson Silva. It wasn't just that he was creative. It was that here was this skinny black guy who, you know, if you look, you sized him up, okay, he looks like he's in shape and maybe he's a swimmer or a biker or something. But, you know, you put him next to James Irvin, who's just, you know, muscled up, totally full of tattoos. Most people are going to be like, that dude with the tats is going to fuck him up. And James Irvin had nothing. Here, here. I'll hold the leg and I'll take your leg. Yeah, had yeah. nothing for him. It redefined what was possible through fighting. It redefined what was possible through creativity. And I've made this point before. Habib has done this to the game. There are guys who do things in fights, ladies too, I think Ronda should be credited with this, who do things in fights that seem impossible, and they not only like, make it work, they make it work with the kind of ease that it raises the overall level of the game. People talk about the NFL yeah. being a copycat league because someone's running cover two, blah, blah, blah kind of offense or whatever. And the other teams look and they go, aha, we can do this. Silva came around and showed people there's a higher order to fighting. Follow me if you want to get there. And others will stand on his shoulders, Adesanya, Habib, and the wrestling department. Man, that is a contribution to fighting almost, I'm not sure you could say that about St. Pierre. Did he really redefine the game? He was very good at mastering the components, but he didn't really make, he reimagined who was possible in terms of, oh, do you have to come from a wrestling background to get there? No, you don't. So he, I give him credit for that. But he didn't really redefine the game in the same way that Anderson Silva did through his creativity. And what also makes him different compared to those, and you, and you touched on certain parts of this in this, is that like, he became a, a crossover attraction on a level that no one else really had from just the standpoint of, I want to see him do crazy shit, right? It wasn't even about wins or losses. I mean, it was about, is someone going to be able to give him a problem? But it was more about, I want to see what he does next in there, which is unique to himself. But even though he, he went in there to win, let's make no doubt about it, and even though, Luke, he did have that weird hiccup with uh, Damian Maya where he was sort of acting out and it was a boring fight and all that, he was a guy who didn't look for the easiest way to win. He always looked for the most spectacular. He always looked for the way to elevate what was possible and elevate his game in the moment that was so freaking fan-friendly that he reached a level of stardom with barely able, being able to speak English and barely being able to sort of, you know, with that, that, that very soft, effeminate voice almost, that it's pretty badass that he's been able to juggle that and be such a ambassador of the sport, be such a you know proponent of Bushido and sort of carry that out really into his late 30s where he was still super ass elite. And even into this losing streak, he's had some serious moments. I'll throw the Adesanya fight out there. I know you don't necessarily believe that he sort of disarmed Israel of a certain degree, but he came that night, whether it was artificial or not, he came ready for a fight. You were going to have to beat him. And uh, his ability to not necessarily age in that regard is sort of extra special as well. Um, you know, not a trash talk guy. He, he, he was just all about the fans. And that connection to the fans, I fear, though, will, will leave him hanging on way too long. One more note about that before we talk about some of the downside. If you came to the UFC a little bit late or, you know, you just missed the, the, the pre-2006 portion of his career, then you miss the fact that he had this career before the UFC, yes, but he had really interesting moments before the UFC. So the one I would hi highlight is... Uh, two of them. One, he beat Alex Stiebling, which was really important. Stiebling came along in uh, Pride for a time, and he beat a couple of Brazilian guys, and then gave himself, I think, the nickname, the Brazilian Killer. Boy, they did not like that. So they sent Anderson Silva to go fuck him up, and that is exactly what happened along the way. So that was one piece. The other piece was he defeated, in London, 
uh, Lightning Lee Murray in his prime in 2004. And Lee Murray, man, like everyone knows him as like, oh, he was a guy who fought in MMA, who also had, was part of this incredible bank heist. And the bank heist story, BC, as you know, is so huge and so fast and the furious crazy. People can't believe it. They want to know more about it. I understand. But if you can just for a moment divorce that and just ask, well, wait a second, how good was Lightning, Lightning Lee Murray? Yo, he was fucking good. He was very good. And Anderson Silva went into this fight widely disregarded and beat the brakes off of Lightning Lee Murray in his hometown without any issue. Had the guy begging for his life near the end of that contest. He did shit like that and then went to the went to Pride and then went to UFC. And then at UFC, in his 30s, had basically the best run any fighters ever it's crazy. had. It's fucking ridiculous. It's crazy. And it all, you know, it all seemed to change for him at UFC 182. I'm sorry, 162 against Weidman in that first fight. Uh, you know, the injury happened Seven in the second ago, fight. believe that? Seven years ago. Was it, was it going to catch up to him anyway? I look back at that first fight and how it went, and it just... To see a guy lose in such a, sort of a bullshit way that's his fault, that's sort of, you know, doing the bullshit thing too much that you shouldn't do and he got caught for it, was it inevitable that it was going to fall apart anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think he was doing a lot of that because he just wasn't feeling it that night. And I think he was just trying to find a way to get him into the fight or get Chris out of the fight, and he just went to the well one too many times. Look, the, I mean, I one time interviewed Matt Brown before the uh, Wonder Boy fight. This was in Atlanta when um, Rashad fought John Jones. And I asked him, I was like, what do you make about his kickboxing record? He's like, look, I'll be honest with you. I don't know any of these motherfuckers he's fought. I don't think anybody does. He goes, but I'll tell you what. And at, the, at the point, I think Wonderboy had had like a 50 or 60 fight winning streak in kickboxing. He goes, but let me tell you why I respect it. He goes, do you think that all 50 or 60 times that he showed up, that he wasn't injured, that he felt great, that he had a good night of sleep, that he wasn't sick? He goes, there are guaranteed times he went in there feeling like 10% of himself, and he still was able to get the win. He goes, that consistency tells you how good he is. Not the names, but the ability to show up time after time after time. But you can only do that for so long, even if you're the great Anderson Silva. That's what I think. All right, let, let, let's, be, let's be harsh here. Has he hung on too long? Yeah, without question. No doubt about it. Now, he hasn't disgraced himself, but then again, a one in six record in eight fights and injuries and multiple PED situations. He hasn't disgraced himself, but you know what he has done, BC? He has helped people forget who he was. He has had a series of boring performances. He had the injuries, which has cost him time, uh, which, you know, to the extent is that his fault, not necessarily, but he's, you know, part of the architect of that. The PED stuff has not helped, I don't think. I don't think it's been super damaging, but it's not helped. Um, and then, you know, age has also been a contributor. And so folks are looking at this fight with Uriah Hall, and they're saying, how competitive it is it? Maybe it'll be something like the Adesanya fight, where he takes a defensive posture that is a little bit hard to unlock, and so it, I think it fools people into thinking how competitive it is, but he did win a round on the judges' scorecards, and so in that sense it kind of was. Or maybe he goes out right and he wins. But there's a, sort of this feeling that, like, however good he was, we're, we've lost that, and we're not going to get it back, and now we just have this dude who's surfing on a resume at this point. Yeah, and uh, let's quickly hit this. We got a lot of hate last week when we did the GOAT debate in light of Habib, uh, you know, retiring unbeaten and who's better, Habib or Jones and all that. And you made a comment that I sort of agreed with you. And look, I, it's taken me a while to get here, but it is that we're not holding the PEDs against some of these guys in the GOAT debate who have PED issues open and blatantly and honestly because you and I both feel like we're at the point the, the, the guys with money are ahead of the testers anyway. The majority of, of opponents these guys fought along the way were probably using anyway. There's a lot of people who are hurt about that. 
I don't give a fuck. But are hurt on the level of like that's an irresponsible take because of how dangerous it is to go no, in there against. No, it's irresponsible to buy into nonsense. Let me tell you how the where, which camera are we on? I don't. Oh wow! Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, here we go. Here we go, guys. It's, no, no, no. Hold on. This is not some like fire and brimstone thing. I'm just I, honestly, I'm trying to reason with people, folks. If you want to be that hardcore about how we include or not folks who have any kind of known or suspected relationship to performance-enhancing drugs, you have to do away with the Hall of Fame altogether. You can't do it. It's not coherently possible. Even if you wanted to say you could start in the USADA era, even then you can't do it. It's not, it's not possible. So if you want to have a Hall of Fame where you honor fighters who competed at the sport in various times, you have to understand that's going to come with inextric- uh, inex- uh, inextricable drug use, even and especially at the elite level. Anderson Silva has, I mean, first of all, he fought in pride. You can just imagine every one of them was on something all the way through. Cage rage, you know, anything, anything 2006 and prior, anything pre-USADA. This wasn't legitimate drug testing back then. Unless you, took, unless you took nothing to block it and you went in there straight up to a piss yeah. test, you're even, not getting even, caught. Even now, there are tons of ways to get around it. I'm just trying to point out to you, it's not possible to have a Hall of Fame where you honor the history of the sport and then suggest you can have one that's drug-free. All of your heroes in MMA most likely have either taken drugs or uh, taken drugs for a a, a certain amount of time, not the entirety of their career, but a certain amount of time. I mean, he had those two losses to Weidman, but he had the devastating injury, right? I mean, he came back in what, less than a year or about a year or something? I mean, how do you think you can come back? I'm just not going to be naive anymore in all sports, but look, I've covered boxing MMA at the highest level. So have you, Luke. We've seen things with our eyes that just like... I mean, things that guys are doing. And the guy went on his best run in his 30s, BC. Do I really think the entirety of that, the entirety of that, was drug-free? Of course I don't. I think it's almost getting to the level, and look, this made you know anger people. Where if you're not doing it, you're not being this smart as you could be to protect yourself, knowing how many others are. And maybe, and look, I've just I've gotten to that point where I'm just not going to believe that everything I see is is the uppity because somebody didn't pop. I mean, it, right. you know, I've, I've seen enough. When people do pop, they do make a mistake, they do whatever, but, yeah. Testing uh, is for the donks, and it's, and it's theater for low-information fans. And it hurts to me. I, I know when I say that, people want to dismiss it, and it hurts, but the evidence on this is so clear. I came around. I came around. I'm with so you, clear. I'm with you. That is, that is what it is. Your favorite Anderson Silva moment, though. Should this, we don't know. If he gets knocked out by Hall on Saturday, maybe we don't see him again. What's your favorite moment? I'll tell you what. So I had a guy. He, uh, let me give a shout-out if I can. He's one of the hosts of the Midday Show in D.C. on uh, 106.7 The Fan. His name is Danny Ruye. Oh, I thought you were going to hit my guy Chad Dukes. Love that guy. Uh, well, so, so, so Chad Dukes follows Danny Ruye and Grant Paulson on the, on the channel. Shouts to Chad as well. But Chad was already a, uh, a, a, an MMA fan. Mm-hmm. And I remember Danny and I had uh, sparked a relationship, and Danny was like, I want to watch MMA. So will you teach me how to watch MMA? Will you show me some? So I said, sure enough. I said, why don't you come over? And this was the fight against Vitor Belfort. Whew. And he had heard about Anderson Silva. He had heard all the good things. And then Silva went in there and front kicked him in the face. There is no greater, like, this. nothing is worse, BC, than when you talk someone up about MMA or a fighter in particular and it just shits the bed. Oh, you got to see Maypac. It's going to be the best yeah. fight of the century. <laughs> exactly. It's the worst. But nothing is sweeter. Nothing is sweeter than when you have a casual sports, sorry, a casual MMA fan, but a hardcore sports fan who's willing at this one time to give MMA a look and Anderson Silva fucking front kicks Vitor Belfort in the face. The payoff to this day, every time I see the guy, he always is like, is Anderson Silva still front kicking people in the face? I'm like, no, 
but I'm glad you remember that day. I, I got to go with the Forrest Griffin moment. There's never been a moment in MMA where I can't stop giggling because I just feel like, like he just f somebody up such at such an embarrassing. No wonder. And I shout out to Forrest Griffin, a Hall of Famer. No wonder he got up and ran out of the cage in Philly and was like, I ain't, I'm, you know, it was very caveman Rickles against MVP. By the way, yeah, it was it just was. sort of like, I'm not no moss. I ain't dealing with this shit. He reached a level, Luke, of sorcery in that moment. Okay, maybe. Griffin slow enough to always be a, a, a guy he could do that too. But he moved up to 205 against a former champion. It wasn't a, you know, a gimme. And to make it look like when you're playing video games against your young child and you're just like, watch the, I mean, the, the, the gambles that Silva could take at the elite level and pull it off was magic. That magic is rare in the fight game for somebody to do that at that level. That encapsulates everything I love about him. Thank you, Andy. And then there's that time he tried to proposition me to bring my uh, significant other to that training session and wear the spider gear and roll with him. I'll still say this, though. He loved the interview I did with him on the phone. Instead of the, accepting the indecent proposal and going to his L.A. Uh, gym, yeah. he loved the interview so much that his team sent me. Now, granted, they sent me skin-tight medium. I'm not a medium. I'm a large, Luke. They sent me some men's clothing, and they sent me some hair gel. I'm wearing the Anderson Silva hair gel today to honor the damn spider, but no, I would not give him my backside or my wife's. I don't know where that was going. Who says, come interview me and you can put on my clothes and we can roll together and bring your wife? Who says that? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's just really, really nice. Yeah, maybe. Would I have gotten there and he would have been like, we don't actually need you for this? Or would I have been the boom mic guy? I probably would have been the boom You'd mic guy. You'd have been the boom mic guy who, yeah. needed, who needed a sneeze guard. That's you. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I don't know what I was going to... I was going to contribute something real. No, let's get out of here with the fan submission. All right. Get with that? Go ahead, buddy. All right, let's go. Hey, big week for Scott Rizzo this week, one of our favorites. Do we got any intro for the fan submissions? All right. By the way, uh, always they can do, do uh, what? Uh, morningcombat at gmail.com? Morningcombat at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram or uh, Twitter. You have our addresses at the end of the show. Scott Rizzo came out this week MK Dumb and Dumber style with a little bit of a movie poster here. Very web scream-esque. Are you down with this? <laughs> Looks like a little bit of a hack job I'm, on the skin. I'm color. Jeff Daniels. For Harry and Lloyd, every day is a no-brainer. Shouldn't they have... Ch- uh, oh, I guess those are the character names. Dumb and Dumber. Uh, I love the movie. You look like fucking Frankenstein. Yeah, that's something. not working for me. That's not working for and, me. And, uh, you know, it's an okay Photoshop. You know what? I'll give it a B. At Scott underscore M underscore Rizzo on Twitter. Hey, let's go back to Yuz Bite Year. He's been hitting us a lot on IG. You know that famous pic of Bill Clinton sitting down next to the records? <laughs> he put my face on it. My headphones are way bigger than that. And he's got the Genesis Abacab record in front of me, and he's got me holding the dying fetus. Reign supreme. Do you know what the one in the background I is? I do not know. That is uh, Jedi Mind Tricks, The Thief and the Fallen, which is one of their best records. I don't know. What's that bottom right? Can you see that? I don't know what I that one is. That, that one, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm uh, fucking that one up. Is it uh, some kind of progressive, stupid-ass That thing? is how I spend most of my time, though, Luke, okay? is, is well, i got to get you. To, that Reign Supreme record is amazing. Devouring Genesis. Genesis is so good in the 70s. With Are Peter they as Gabriel. good as Dying Fetus? They're way better. Oh, my God. Selling England by the pound. I should institute that as homework one week where you got to listen to that. This, that I told you, I told you this is a true story. I took my pregnant wife to a Dying Fetus concert in New York. We were a little weirded out by it, so You're we didn't weird. talk about You're it. You're just a weird person. They became out great. All right, hey, back to Scott Rizzo. He's working overtime this week, Luke. You told that weird story about uh, <laughs> homeless lifting weights in the front yard. I think Scott put his own face on the homeless guy. What does that sign and say? And so many people were like, dude, lift with him. Do you understand that this guy, every time he comes by, he smells, you know, uh, not great. 
He is always drunk. But his dream is to lift with you. So he says. I think he uses that line on all a right, lot of people. Luke, we want to laugh and at you, this. You know, Jose, do you think I want that motherfucker's COVID? Well, no first of all, shout out to Scott Rizzo's creativity here. And I know this. the joke of this meme is that there's this random homeless guy. But Luke, who the frick lifts weights in their own front yard? What the hell's wrong? What do you live in, Compton? What yeah. are those boys in the hood? And you got a cinder block and a, like, yeah. what are you doing, Luke? I don't, my wife, my wife literally at this point is like, if you're having a midlife crisis, can you just go buy it? You don't have a basement? You don't have a backyard? Oh, fuck, I live in a metropolitan city. You have, a, you have a house with a yard, right? Okay, so the backyard is where all the pets take a dump, so I have to do it in the front. Do you have a basement? I do, but it's uh, low ceiling. Oh, it's like it's like an old school. Like, so I could squat. It's like the movie deadlift. Saw. Or yeah. no, no, the movie uh, Blair Witch Project at the yes. end where the guys in the I could corner. squat and I could, no, no, it's in the it's, corner. It's, he's no, like, no, 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 it's livable. I mean, I, there's, we have two bedrooms down there, but I can't. I can reach up and touch the ceiling with my hand, so it doesn't work. All right, out. that's fair, but so the but the front. So it means everyone driving by, everyone walking by. All of them see it, bro. And what are you wearing? Like a wife? Like a like a? No, no, no. I'm wearing my Cannibal Corpse T-shirt. I got my headphones on. I'm not bothering anybody. Yeah, but there's an element of inside of you that wants to be seen. No, I do. You want to be found out. You want this motherfucker in the hood to come up to you and be like, "I do it. I do it right." What they call golden hour, which is the hour as the sun goes down. It's like people who pull their thing out in public and get arrested. They want attention. That's you at the bus stop. I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. <sighs> All right. Well, we had a small amount this week. Web Scream was quiet. We had a small amount of submission. So I think a song, fuck, guys? a song so nice, you got to play it twice. Can we just play Cal? Can we play Callie Matheson? Well, yes. Come on. When you wake up, it's like just so everyone knows. has won or fist fight with your dreams. I'm shitting blood while eating bacon. I say that every day to myself. So reality wins, or so it seems. Just so everyone knows, as he's doing this, we can't actually hear it. You discover that. Dude, what the fuck is wrong with you? This song is so. So here's what we need to do. We need to make a music video. No, we don't. Yeah, I'm down with that. I loosen my dreams, fall flat. A look and busy, make it look easy. This is painful. This is awesome. Very, um, rom-scene, very industrial, right? Is that what that is? Very industrial. All right. Thank you, folks. Fan submissions, morningcombat at gmail.com. Shout out to Cal's World Tour. Give us a little bit more next time. Jesus Christ, there was hardly anything in there. Yeah, it's your people, all right? It's our people. Uh, speaking of our people, there's plenty of ways you can reach us. You can do morningcombat at gmail.com. Plus, we're all over social. BC and I are on Twitter. We're on Insta. You got the YouTube channel. You got uh, Morning Combat on Twitter. Morning Combat on Insta. These are all the various places to follow us. Take a picture of your hog. Send it to him. (laughs) Well, Kelly was right about one thing when he said, Luke and BC, make it look easy. Nobody's doing a show like this covering boxing, MMA, involving the Donkersons in it. Really just, we'll we'll take it on the road. We'll we'll take it to the massage parlor. uh, Luke, we are on top of the combat world, and this thing's only, the erection is only... Everyone else who tries this is boring. Uh, We we are stupid, but we are not boring. We're old and white and and getting fat, but we bring it, all right? That's right. That's what we we do, what we're supposed to do in this demo. Uh, If you want to try Showtime, and why wouldn't you? You can go to Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. You can check that out. Uh, if you want some gear, we got all kinds of gear. Store.show.com. Now tonight we'll be we're going to record yes. uh, room service diaries that will be up in the morning. I think. I don't two think drink it, minimum. Two drink minimum. I tried to order forties last night and they rejected me. By the way, I was going to have some ready for your ass. 
Um, oh, I'm sorry, real 40s, right? Yeah, well, malt liquor. It's not. If you buy fucking Budweiser in a 40-ounce bottle, it's not a 40. That's just extra Budweiser. Luke, you hate white people so much. <laughs> Why does liking actual malt liquor and understanding the difference between that and beer make me hate whitey? What the fuck could be the connection there? <sighs> All right. Anyway, doesn't matter. Hey, yeah, this week, though, check out our Showtime shit, okay? Because Tank what? Davis, Leo Santa Cruz, it's a pay-per-view that matters. Tomorrow, Thursday, we will be hosting the press conference stream, uh, throwing it over to our folks in the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Brian right. Custer and the crew as well. And Friday, the weigh-in, which is going to be important. Tank Davis cutting down to 1.30 for this. We're going to be there on the uh, hosting as well. 1 p.m. for both, I believe. 1 p.m. Eastern, is that Something correct? Like that. We're also going to have a live Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern morning combat for you, setting the stage. Who's going to win and why? We've got a big boxing weekend, as we mentioned. Usyk's back. Anui, we've got to get into a lot of ish there. Oh, we'll get into that UFC undercard as well, Luke. Also, Bellator results. Yeah, so we have a lot to get to. So Bellator tomorrow, show tomorrow, uh, presser tomorrow, weigh-ins on Friday for uh, Tank Davis, show here on Friday, and plenty of room service diaries. So we got a lot of content. You're going to get Halloween costumes for Friday's show? So I bought one and I didn't bring it. I bought one that I was going to wear for my daughter. What are, you, what are you going to go as for this year? Just, you know, myself. The, just a cuck? Just <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go as Scooby-Doo. I was going to go as Scooby-Doo for my daughter. Uh, all right. Well, until, uh, let's see, Room Service Diaries tonight and or tomorrow, that's Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. For everyone at Mulca and Showtime, especially the Mulca folks who dealt with the uh, – Power outage. Or You're not going to blame them. You're or gonna, may have caused it. May have caused it. The yeah, conspiracy yeah, yeah. we're not going to necessarily speak about. Um, thanks for watching. And uh, may all your gains be loyal. 15 years ago, you made your pay-per-view debut as a headliner against Arturo Gatti. Are there any similarities in your eyes to where Tank's brand is now to where you were entering the Gatti fight? I believe in Tank. When Tank was very, very young, I told him someday he will be fighting on pay-per-view. And now we're here. I've been doing it for so long. I stopped fighting when I was eight. I'm made for this. Now I'm here for a reason. I'm not in the best shape of my life. As we know, we have a hard fight. I think the hardest fight in my career. There's a big opportunity for me to become a pay-per-view superstar, and that's what I want. A couple of years ago when I was saying I was going to be the next pay-per-view star, people were thinking that I was just talking. Now that it's really here, I'm on the road to be a superstar. artist and not touch people.